Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Sarah Whitmire, who is the uh, bureau chief of WFIU and WTIU here on the campus. And today we're going to be talking about uh, Bill Cook uh, with some people who know him very well. Um, if you want to join the conversation, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can also join the conversation online at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Well, for those of you who may have missed the news, uh, Bill Cook died last Friday um, at his home. And uh, there is a big event tomorrow at the Cook headquarters on the west side of Bloomington for people who want to pay their respects. Um, Mr. Cook was a uh, quite quite an amazing man who some of you who live outside of the Bloomington area may not be that familiar with him because he was, and our guests will talk more about this, he was, uh, for a guy who was on the Forbes list and was a billionaire, he was a pretty unassuming guy that uh, did a lot of things in the state and a lot of things in this region, but uh, if you're from you know Kokomo or Columbus or Greensburg or some of the other areas that this radio station covers, you might not be as familiar as people here in Bloomington and certainly in French Lake and West Baden are. So we'll uh, we'll get to to his story and some of the some of the recollections that these folks have about him. I want to turn to Tom Osborne first, who's one of our guests. We have uh, three guests. Tom Osborne is currently the senior vice president of intellectual property development, and he was one of Bill Cook's first employees. I'm going to turn to Tom first, but let me introduce the other guests. Brian Bates, senior vice president of business development for Cook, and also Marsh Davis is here, the president of Indiana Landmarks, and we'll be talking about Bill, Bill Cook's many uh, ventures into historic preservation around the state. But, uh, Tom, you were one of his first. You were his first employee, correct? That's right. Mm -hmm. So what did he hire you to do? Uh, First day I went to see Bill Cook, uh, he taught me how to make wire guides, Mm -hmm. a key part of uh, our product line. And uh, uh, I I started making wire guides that first day. And that was in his uh, apartment? That That was in the apartment on East 2nd Street in the Bart Villa Villa Apartments. (laughs) The old Bart Villa Apartments. It was was just a a regular-sized apartment that you were working in? It was. It was a very modest apartment. Uh, um, I believe it was three bedrooms. It had an upstairs. There were two small bedrooms upstairs, one downstairs, and uh, we occupied the downstairs uh, uh, bedroom. Mm -hmm. That was Bill's office and uh, raw material storage and production. And did you have many customers then? Uh, No, we didn't have very many customers, (laughs) but uh, uh, the the customer base grew steadily every day. Mm -hmm. So, Tom, excuse me, Tom would... uh, not tell you himself, but Tom actually was responsible for uh, the design and the fabrication of the of the first wire guide uh, manufacturing mm-hmm. uh, entity. Which, correct me if I'm wrong, was placed in Bill's bathtub in the apartment, right? <laughs> well, part of the uh, part of the processing occurred in that bathtub. That's true, and. Uh, when we got to that point, that's I, I think that's when Gail uh, insisted that we find someplace else. To <laughs> I think you're gonna. I think our listeners are gonna hear some things today that you know maybe you've heard before. But the fact is, this is one amazing story about Bill Cook. I mean, the fact that we've already talked about it being in a, a downstairs bedroom and using the bathtub for the first manufacturing, and now um, the Cook companies are a three billion. It's a three billion dollar company. Uh, I believe, from what I've seen, and and uh, I guess it didn't start that way. So, no, definitely did not. <laughs> right? Can you describe the growth of the company? Um, well, it's uh, it's been uh, rapid and steady ever since that first day that I walked in and started making wire guides. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember uh, one specific day, uh, maybe six or eight months after I started. Uh, when we suddenly started getting orders for uh, uh, products that were bigger orders. You know, we used to get two or three or maybe a dozen 
uh, catheters, needles, or wire guides. And then all of a sudden, it seemed like one day we started getting orders for 50 or 100. And uh, uh, that put a lot of stress on our little operation. But uh, uh, as usual, in the Bill Cook style, we uh, did what we had to do, mm-hmm. met the demand. And then who were, who were the next employees? I, I assume Miles Connie was one of the earliest employees. He right? was. And uh, there's, there's somewhat of a debate about uh, whether I was first or Miles was first. <laughs> well, you're getting all the, you know, all the publicity about it, so I guess it was you. Miles is going to have to take a back seat. Miles met Bill at uh, one of the early uh, professional meetings mm-hmm. in Chicago, I think. And uh, he wanted to uh, work with Bill. He wanted to, uh, he wanted to be in, in on the ground floor of a new startup mm-hmm. uh, company. And uh, he, uh, he wanted to work for Bill. And Bill said, that's great. I'd love to have you, uh, but I can't pay you. So Miles actually uh, represented Bill uh, without pay for a few months. It worked out pretty well for him, it I'd did. say. Now, Brian, as Senior Vice President of Business Development, you probably could answer Sarah's question, too, about how the business has developed over time. Uh, sure. Yeah. The, the, in the early days, uh, meaning from 63 through actually about 1975, all the products that we sold were diagnostic in nature, mm-hmm. meaning that uh, the needles, the basic com- three components of needles, wire guides, catheters were used for diagnostic purposes. And uh, so although, as Tom has pointed out, our growth was pretty steady, in 1976, it took a giant leap because uh, clinicians began understanding uh, interventional medicine to a greater extent, and they began understanding that you could actually solve problems within uh, the body uh, as opposed to diagnosing problems. So. In 1976, uh, began the advent of, of many um, products that were used for therapeutic purposes. So we uh, started manufacturing embolization coils and sets for drainage and this sort of things, pro- uh, products that would solve problems. And, and so our growth uh, just skyrocketed that, at that point and uh, basically has, has maintained pretty much the same curve uh, since 1976. Now, it's been said, and this is one of the things I think about the, the Cook Group and, and the kind of the medical devices that you make. It's been said that essentially what you did was was put uh, exploratory surgery kind of out of business. I mean, it's no longer a technique used. Uh, I don't know if it's used at all, but Not, would that be fair? That's uh, a yeah, that's a fairly accurate statement. I mean, you know, certainly there's a element to uh, exploratory surgery even today, but certainly not in the same sense that we thought of it years ago. And uh, again, it has much to do with the with the therapeutic uh, uh, components that were developed beginning about 1976, and and uh, actually continues to to uh, so today. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking as we were we were reporting on Bill Cook's death over the weekend, how many people have probably used one of his devices or had one of them used inserted in them or something? Do you? Oh, I, I'm just trying to think how this relates to the everyday person. Worldwide, oh my goodness. Um, well, just millions, millions. I, I don't I don't know how many millions. I'd be, that's an interesting question. Uh, but uh, millions and millions of people, of course, worldwide, because Cook extends, uh, you know, its reach all around the world, and has has done so for years and years and years. Well, I think again, for those who may not be that familiar with the the Cook products, um, you know, stents, wire guides, those things. What could you just talk about? What they're used for? What kinds of procedures are used in? Um, yes. Um, you know, this all started really in 1953 because prior to 1953, uh, if physicians wanted to diagnose a problem within the primarily the vascular system, uh, they would uh, surgically cut down on a on a vessel, and they would uh, insert a a uh, sometimes a rubber tube or a plastic tube as best they could into a desired region inject a watery substance called a contrast agent and watch the dispersal of that contrast agent as 
x-rays were taken. And um, it was problematic because it was difficult to get the tube where you wanted it to go, number one. And secondly, it was a surgical procedure. So it was, there were complications associated with it. And in 1953, a Swedish physician by the name of Seldinger uh, described a new technique. And he said, here's how you can obviate surgery, and here's how you can get the catheter where you want it to go. He said, first of all, you put a needle in the vessel. You don't surgically cut down on it. You put a needle in the vessel. And then you fu- through the needle, you place a very, very flexible atraumatic spring coil something that will not perforate the vessel. And that spring coil, because it's so flexible, will go anywhere you want it to go in the body. And once you get the wire where you want it to go, then you can place a plastic catheter that's tapered uh, over the wire, and the catheter will go where the wire went. And then if you take the wire guide out, you can make your injection. And once you're done, you don't have a surgical incision. You have just a puncture site. You can put pressure on the puncture site, and the patient can go home that same day. So that became known as the Seldinger technique. And Bill Cook was the first manufacturer of wire guides. And, again, Tom was the individual who designed the wire guide fabrication equipment. Um, and so he was the Bill was the first manufacturer of wire guides in the U.S. and it was of course followed by needles and various types of catheters and so on. And so again, going back to what I mentioned before, all of that was diagnostic in nature until 1976, which was really the advent of of uh, therapeutic medicine. Mm-hmm. And now the the product lines have expanded dramatically since then. Yes, yeah. because you know again originally it was vascular in nature. But people began understanding, you know, if I can put a needle in the vascular system, I can put a needle in the in the kidney, or I can put a needle in the biliary system, or I can, you know, I can put it in the chest cavity, and I can put a wire guide there, and I can put a catheter there, and I can solve problems in these areas other than the vascular system. And that's that's sort of how Cook grew, because what we did was we applied that basic you know, wire needle catheter technology to the various disciplines in medicine, gastroenterology, urology, women's health, critical care medicine, and, and so on. Mm-hmm. And so uh, for us, it's, it's all about patient care, good patient care across disciplines. Mm-hmm. I've read a lot of quotes about Bill in the last week or so about how he, he just really was excited about the possibility of solving problems. He'd like to see a problem and go after it. Tom, you're nodding your head. That was the oh, bill yeah, that you that, knew. That was our big reward, mm-hmm. uh, helping patients, giving some hope to people who uh, really had some serious problems. And, uh, you know, between uh, the time of Seldinger and Bill Cook there in the 50s, uh, the physicians that learned the Seldinger technique, they, they generally had to make their own catheters and devise their own wire guides. And uh, it was generally only done in uh, larger hospitals and institutions that had their own engineering shops. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Bill Cook came along and the word got around that there was this little company in Indiana that would make this stuff for you, uh, plus uh, make custom devices, uh, we began to grow very rapidly, and uh, we began to do a lot of great things for patients. Mm-hmm. As the company, have, I'm sorry, go ahead. You have to uh, appreciate too that you know these instruments that we're talking about, wires and catheters and so on. They are uh, somewhat analogous to golf clubs in the sense that uh, you can take a given catheter and it works well in one person's hand, but that same exact catheter won't work well in another person's hand. And so Cook in the early days was very open, as Tom mentioned here, to customization of these products. And so over the years – uh, we've established specifications on over 5,000 different types of catheter shapes and sizes and over 5,000 different wire guides, mm-hmm. some of which are only used uh, by one individual around the world. As the company grew and Bill Cook was seeing more and more success, how did he change as a person? I don't know that uh, he really did change. Um, first day I met Bill Cook, it was obvious where he wanted to go and how serious he was and what he wanted to do and what his philosophies were. 
I never saw that change. No, he never changed. I think we sort of see that just in a lot of the reports we're reading now yeah. and everything. He was just this private person, just very down to earth, eating his was it a dollar eighty five lunch? Dollar eighty five lunch, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I had the good fortune of having lunch with him at the you know, in the cafeteria a few times and it's a I mean it's a really nice thing for the employees. But I remember one day I'm going to admit on the air that he bought my lunch one day <laughs> and I was there and you know, I had this salad and you know, I, he said, Well, I'll just buy that for you, Bob. Don't worry. And I said, No, nah, I'll buy my own. He's like, It's only 99 cents. Come on. <laughs> I'm like, Okay, <laughs> you're on. It's not a problem. But uh, yeah, he was, he was a pretty modest guy. I mean, he was, you know, he's down to earth. He wouldn't, I mean, people that would see him around would have no idea that he was no. worth the money he was worth and that he was the kind of guy that he was. I want to turn to Marsh, who's been very patient sitting here, because a lot of people who are, um, you know, you two who work at the company and really understand the medical device industry and what he's meant to that um, have a, a full view, I think, of, of what Bill Cook was all about. People in maybe a lot of our area see the external projects that he got involved with, the south side of the square in, in Bloomington, all the renovation work that he's done, French Lick and West Baden, um, the church that you just dedicated, but then things like the Star of Indiana, um, the Cook Hall at IU, various things that he's been involved with um, in the community, and, and that's sort of another whole several more chapters of his life. But Marsh Davis from the Indiana Landmarks, um, he's Bill and Gail have meant a great deal to uh, historic preservation, obviously. How how much? I mean, how can you describe it? <laughs> we really can't. It's, 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 it, you cannot calculate uh, the, the benefit that they provided to us. And I say they because I know in this, in this, Gail was with Bill, I think, every step of the way. She, no doubt, helped him select uh, the, some of the projects that he would embark on. And although I've, I've been myself only involved in, in, a, in a very few of these, uh, her handiwork is, is, is quite evident. And uh, most recently in our the restoration of the Indiana Landmark Center, which was just opened uh, Saturday this past weekend, uh, I know – a lot of the refinements there are, are due to Gail's uh, sensibilities about about color and fabric and surfaces. But she and Bill were a great team when it came to uh, historic preservation. Now, would you talk about that project a little bit? Because you you did expect Bill to be there on. Oh Saturday. yes, yeah. We were all Gary. It was all centered around around uh, Bill and Gail and and Carl and Marcy. Uh, to celebrate their great contribution, we could not have done this project. No way would we have taken on this project without their their uh, support. But we we invited them up to look at this building uh, about at least two years ago. I can't recall. Uh, I know that Gail gave a lecture at the Monroe County History Center. They had a gala. Uh, they were their first fundraising dinner, and, and her topic was. Great domes of the world. I mean, I have the exact title, but that was what she was talking about. And we thought, well, if they like domes after doing the West Baden project. Maybe they'd like our little dome up in Indianapolis. So we invited uh, Bill and Gail to come up and look at it, and they did. They came up a couple weeks later and uh, not only looked at it, but they crawled up a, a, a tall, skinny ladder through a hatch in, in the ceiling, and there's a lot of space between the ceiling and the, and the, and the roof of this building, crawling on rafters and, and uh, on their hands and knees through dust and you know decades of, of – uh, Coal dust. It was really quite an experience to see how how interested and engaged they were in this, and and uh, it took a couple more visits before before Bill uh, offered the, the the tip the the famous cook handshake and said, "Let's do it." And of course, that was a. <laughs> Uh, that was a happy day for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, they donated $10 million, I think. It was a $13 million In, in excess of $10 million, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, again, for those of those listeners who may not be familiar with what this you know, th- this building is, it was a Central Avenue? It was a Central Avenue uh, United Methodist Church, Methodist Episcopal Church historically, and uh, biggest Methodist church, I think, in the state for a long time until – Till World War II, post World War II era, then it began to, to uh, fall off in numbers. But it was a it's a big, hulking, very impressive building, mm-hmm. and it was uh, it, it's very visible in Indianapolis if you travel in what we call the North Split, where seventy and sixty five uh, converge briefly. It's a highly visible building, and for many years was just falling into into decay. And uh, 
without this generous gift, uh, it, it, they had no future. Now, I did hear or read that Bill went up there every Tuesday to sort of oversee the what was uh, virtually every Tuesday he was there. Gail came up uh, not as frequently, but she was there, and Carl uh, very much engaged in it. But Bill was there, and and he was focused. Mm-hmm. Now he did the same thing, I believe, at French Lick for or with the West Baden project, or maybe maybe both projects. Oh, there. I'm sure. Yeah. I, now I wasn't on the scene for those, but I've I've heard I've heard the stories, and and yeah, very much engaged in it. And I think a lot of the things that he did at at, at particularly at West Baden with not just fixing up a building, but but to figure out how to make it make it sparkle uh, with with uh, innovative lighting systems, for instance, uh, that that you see at, at, in the West Baden Dome, we've got those uh, in our new Indiana Landmark Center. That's all Bill Cook and his ingenious way of making something come to life. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that project started out to be a thirty-two million dollar project. I think was the first the first amount, and I think it wound up about five hundred million. Five, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, who's counting after somebody? But, yeah. but you know, lots of wire guys. Yeah, right. <laughs> the, well, the original. Uh, Portion he he had agreed uh, to restore the the, uh, the the dome part of the building and and to stabilize it and fix it. That was the initial thirty, I think thirty four million 34, was the amount. Okay. But then he decided that well, he will just we'll just do it ourselves. So they took on the whole project and then took on, took on French Lick and uh, well the the rest is pretty well known. But uh, my God, what a transformation of of the Springs Valley! Just mm-hmm. I mean night and day from what it was pre Cook. Mm-hmm. Say BC before Cook, <laughs> <laughs> and you're nodding your head, Tom. Throughout this, how how involved? I mean, were other people at the company in these sort of projects and these just entrepreneurial endeavors that he took on? Um, well, uh, he would uh, call on anybody he could think of that, that uh, might help in solving a problem on any of those projects. Uh, I wound up in uh, West Baden a few times trying to. Uh, uh, put some shine on the marble and uh, a few other problems <laughs> that they were trying to solve. But uh, uh, he definitely, uh, you know, he, he wasn't interested in just fixing it up. Uh, he wanted to restore it to something special. And uh, he did that. And uh, it shows. And uh, it's, it, kind of, it's kind of interesting to note, you know, that's Tom Osborne is just talking about going down to French, French Lake to put some shine on some of that stuff, but he's the vice president of intellectual property development. So I guess Bill would call on anybody. <laughs> why did, I don't know if you all can speak to this, but why did he take on this issue of historic preservation? Why was this so near and dear to him? Well, I remember uh, in the uh, 60s when I first started, um, he would occasionally talk about uh, little towns that, uh, you know, around uh, the southern part of the state that uh, he'd driven through. That had uh, you know become essentially abandoned, and uh, neighborhoods that were in disrepair and uh, had become uh, rather depressing places. And and he was not so much depressed about that, but he was curious about that. And he talked about it and why it happened and uh, what it would take to restore the vitality to those areas. Uh, at the time, I had no idea that he was actually going to do something about it. I thought it was uh, uh, just a subject that he was interested in. But uh, uh, as time went on and uh, uh, the company prospered, uh, that was his reward. His ab- the, ability, the ability to restore vitality to these, these little deserted towns and uh, economically depressed areas and restore vitality to make it a place where people would want to stay and live and have families. And mm-hmm. Bill he really it, wanted to do that. Yeah, he felt it was important to give to the community, give back to the community. And you know, to whatever extent he was able to do that, he was going to do it. And you know, as he became more and more successful and had more uh, funds available, uh, obviously the projects became bigger. And you know, he realized that dream of. Uh, of making these uh, huge commitments to communities, I think he really enjoyed seeing things restored to health. Just as in his in his medical uh, business uh, with preservation, he was not interested in just saving a place or even fixing it up. He went beyond that. He wanted whatever he he touched to have a useful purpose. 
and 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 a, and a, to be an economically viable purpose. And that was, I think, uh, his underlying message and philosophy in in historic preservation. I think it, it's completely consistent with his approach to the way he treated people as as. As if, if I use the word patience, uh, mm-hmm. he he wanted to fix. He wanted to solve problems, and it seems like uh, the bigger the the, the problem, uh, the greater the challenge, the more he relished it. You know, I actually have some of Bill's words here. I'm going to read because uh, in this section that we did in the paper last June, um, he had written a column for our newspaper that was published May second, two thousand and ten, and it was about the church. And so he wrote about why historic preservation, and at the very end of this. He said, um, you know, which leads me back to the question I I hear so often, why? Simply put, we believe in the community-wide impact of historic preservation. It's not just about old buildings, and it's not simply about preserving the past. It's about building for the future and benefiting entire communities. So that was – that's Bill Cook in his own words. And that was based on questions about the the church when he said he was going to restore that and turn that building over. And we in historic preservation need to learn from that and remember that because that's exactly – the, the best – I've never heard anyone put it better. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to have to take a short break. We're talking about Bill Cook and his impact on uh, not just south-central Indiana but basically the entire uh, world when it comes to medical care. Uh, we have Marsh Davis, the president of Indiana Landmarks, here with us today. Brian Bates, who is senior vice president of business development at Cook. And Tom Osborne, currently the senior vice president of intellectual property development and also Bill Cook's first employee. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcast directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. Programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, The Ether Game, Musical Mini Quiz, as well as Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Find out more at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? On Fridays, the WFIU news team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Listen at 11.33 a.m., 11.55 a.m., and 5.45 p.m. to catch that day's feature. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with Sarah Whitmire from WFIU and WTIU. And today we're uh, discussing the life and the impact of Bill Cook, who died last week, last Friday, and will be uh, honored actually tomorrow. Um, He's going to be lying in repose. His body will be lying in repose at the Cook headquarters out on the west side of Bloomington uh, for people who want to pay their respects. Uh, If you want to join us on the program uh, that we're having here today, 850-811-877-285-9348 and WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. Um, I wanted to turn back again to Tom and Brian, who worked with worked with Bill for a long time. It's Tom Osborne and, and Brian Bates. And talk about the, you know, just what it was like to work for a guy who was, uh, you know, I've, I've heard Bill, well, actually the title of his book that Bob Hamill did um, was Ready, Fire, Aim. You know, that he often, you know, he had an idea and he wanted to do it, so he would just, you know, go out and do it. I mean, what, what's it like, what was the culture like? What's it like to work for a guy like that? Well, uh, that first day I walked in there, I remember, uh, you know, what am I getting into here? What What is this kind of work? You know, who are these people? And uh, I was immediately impressed by the fact that uh, Bill Cook was serious about this little business he had going in the spare bedroom. Uh, he ran it like a business. He treated it like a business. He had expectations. And uh, that was, you know, the Bill, Bill Cook that uh, I worked for from then on. And uh, – you know, there were uh, there were times when he could be pretty demanding. You know, and, and it wasn't always uh, uh, days when you look forward to going to work. <laughs> but uh, it wasn't because Bill Cook himself was, uh, you know, a demanding, overbearing person. He had uh, he had goals, he had patience in mind, he had problems to solve, and and then that was the pressure that he brought to the rest of the people there in the company. Mm-hmm. And Brian, how long have you been with the company? 
Uh, almost forty years. Almost forty yeah. years. So yeah. you, you. So I, uh, I started in the uh, in the fall of nineteen seventy one, mm-hmm. and uh, we had about uh, thirty seven employees. We had no sterile products. Everything went out in a plastic bag. Uh, things were sterilized, of course, at the mm-hmm. hospital, and uh, and you know I uh, didn't take long to see the visionary side of of Bill because. When I started, we were in a three-bedroom house on Curry, Curry Pike. Well, you went from an apartment to a three-bedroom three house. Bedroom. <laughs> Actually, there was a pizza parlor, back of a pizza parlor in between. But uh, it was an apartment, pizza parlor, three-bedroom house. But, uh, you know, I remember so well that, uh, you know, you, you'd look around and you'd see people busy and everything seemed to be – as it should be, and Bill would say, uh, we need to get Pritchett Brothers in here and start on another couple thousand feet of addition. And you'd think to yourself, you know, it seems like we're just fine. <laughs> and then, sure enough, six months later, uh, everything would be filled up, and you'd look back and you'd think, wow, I was sure I'm glad that we did what we did. Hmm. I remember another notable Occasion, we used to have a two o'clock meeting every day, mm-hmm. and Bill uh, Bill sat at the table. And uh, on this one particular day, Russ East, who was the machine shop operator, came in. And at that time, our sales were oh maybe two million dollars. And Russ East uh, suggested that uh, that Bill consider the uh, acquisition of a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar piece of machinery. Uh, to build uh, some of the products. And within about four minutes, uh, Bill said, yeah, let's do it. And I thought to myself, my goodness, you know, I mean, that's our year's profit. Less, you know, more than our year's profit. And, uh, but yet again, you know, nine months later, we all looked around and here's this brand new machine cranking out products and um, it made all the sense in the world. So, you know, he was just he was just way ahead of everybody, and mm-hmm. in, in many terms, but uh, particularly terms that related to uh, advancing business the way it should be advanced. Mm-hmm. It seems like there was really a succession plan in place, but how will the day to day operations continue now that Bill Cook is gone? Uh, well, pretty much the same as it has for about the last eight ten years. Uh, you know, Bill. Uh, made his plans. Uh, he knew he was going to put together a team and uh, put them in charge. And uh, he did that. Uh, he just, you know, that team came together about 10 years ago. And uh, it went into operation, and he was pretty happy with the way it turned out. I mean, we've done really well over the last 8, 10 years. And uh that's the way it's going to continue in the future. Uh, this this group, there will be some old guys like Brian and I in that group. And there are some new young guys uh, that embrace the Cook philosophy, uh, he, see his vision, want to help patients. And uh, that's the team that's going to carry us into the future. What can you tell us about his son, Carl, is going to be the new CEO now? He's part of the team. Part of the team, yeah. You know, I think you have to realize that uh, uh, Bill had his first coronary bypass operation in 1974. And so really and truly, about 1980 or so, he started stepping away from the day-to-day activities. And uh, he has diminished his involvement with uh, the uh, day-to-day throughout that period and uh, for a for a long extended period of time, uh, he, you know, even though he's there, he has been there every day, most every day. Um, he's left the day-to-day activities up to other people, and you know, one of the one of the great virtues of Bill is he, that he never really micromanaged. He he let other people make decisions, and uh, you know, what with the wonders of a private organization with uh, no committees and no budgets. Uh, 
you know, therein you have uh, some of the key com- key reasons why Cook has been as, as successful as it has been. I always got uh, sort of the, the feeling that, that, you know, Bill, had, there are a lot of people that are in place. I mean, you see Steve Ferguson around, you see Dan Peterson around town or Jim Murphy around town, and that they probably are pretty um, autonomous. And I always felt, unless Bill decided that, he wanted him to do something, and, and, and that Bill still had, still certainly had the uh, control. And, and if he said, "Murphy, I want you to look into buying this building," that Jim would probably jump through hoops to try to get it done. So, said, would that be a, an accurate portrayal of the way Bill's operated the last few years? Oh, I think, I think to some extent, but you know, by the same token, Jim would have a lot of latitude in running, you know, his his aspects of the business the way sure. he felt it should be sure. run mm-hmm. and that's true out through true throughout the you know various areas within the cook group mm-hmm. all right our phone numbers again are 855-0811-877-285-9348 and you can go to the website wfiu.org slash noon edition we're talking about bill cook and his um, contributions to South Central Indiana and, and elsewhere. If you have a story to share or a question to ask, we have uh, three key people, three people who knew him well. Tom Osborne, his first employee, uh, Brian Bates, who's Senior Vice President of Business Development, and Marsh Davis, who's done a lot of work uh, with Mr. Cook on uh, major historic preservation uh, as the president of Indiana Landmarks. So, um, the, I want to get back to some of the other things that Bill has done, and and you two, for the uh, who have worked with him at the company, um, things like the Star of Indiana. You know, when he, when he started the Star of Indiana Drum and Bugle Corps, or when he started, some people may remember Hoosier Fest, which had a a, a mini Grand Prix with it, and Bill would drive the pace car. And it, um, you know, from those of you who are so involved at the company, doing the you know the day to day work of of the medical device industry, you know, what what do you think when Bill would launch one of these projects in a, in the community? Did you take part in those? Yeah, we did. Uh, you know, several of us from uh, from the plant here in Bloomington volunteered <laughs> to uh, work the uh, bus the uh, the go kart race downtown. That was actually a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, everything Bill Cook did had a purpose, and it was for the community. It was for the patients. It was uh, uh, for the young people that were in the, in the uh, Drum and Bugle Corps. So, you know, it all made perfect sense to us. Mm-hmm. It, it may have seemed like a lot of random activities, but it, it made perfect sense, and it seemed, to, it seemed like it was a master plan. Mm-hmm. Brian? Yeah, I can't add much to that. I mean, it, it really was all about the community, and yeah. it was all about uh, bettering people's lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, uh, I think, uh, felt some sadness to, in, in the sense that there are a lot of uh, uh, kids in their age group, 15 to 20, who, you know, were kind of struggling with their lives and, and, and uh Needed some direction, and I think he viewed the Star of Indiana as a as a uh, great entity to uh, put those kids to to uh, you know useful uh, uh, enterprise. And I think he just really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. We do have a comment from a reader who emailed in. I just wanted to mention his involvement with the Drum Corps activity and his funding of the Star of Indiana that was based in Bloomington. Star's accomplishments inspired me and continues to inspire many around the world. Thank you, Bill Cook. So, See, there you go. Yeah. And then that, that uh, actually morphed into Blast, which was a Tony Award-winning play that was on Broadway. So that it's just amazing how, you know, the that first wire guide that you designed and fabricated turned into a Broadway show that won a Tony in some ways. So, yeah. Our phone numbers, again, I want to make sure that people have them, so you can call in 855-0811-877-285-9348, and wfiu.org slash noon edition is the website. And Valerie's on the phone. Valerie? Yeah. Um, I have a comment, uh, another way in which Mr. Cook had uh, inspired young people, though at the time I wasn't really young because I was a returning student to Indiana University. But in the biology department, there was a Cook Award for which um, students could submit designs for um, devices or whatever their ideas were that you got a, a monetary award and also, of course, the, the uh, 
honor, and I actually got an honorable mention, a $250 award. It was an adaption for a new use for an existing device. But um, it was so inspiring. You know, as an undergraduate, sometimes you lose track of the fact that your classes, there is someday going to be some practical application for all this. And uh, I was really proud to be able to put that on my resume. Mm-hmm. Cool. So I don't know if too many people were even aware, and I, I assume they're probably still doing it, but it, it really was a nice thing mm-hmm. for students to be able to get creative. All right. Thanks Thank a you. lot, Valerie. Thanks a lot for the call. 855-0811-877-285-9348 and WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. One thing Valerie mentioned is, you know, that was an award that probably a lot of people didn't know about. And we've heard in a lot of the comments uh, since uh, Mr. Cook's death that, you know, he did a lot of things that nobody knows about. Could you, the three of you, share something perhaps that, you know, maybe some project that you know that he was involved with that isn't widely known? And we can start with Marsh Davis. I mean, I, you know, the, the French Lake in West Baden, some of the things he's done in Bloomington, the, the big church in Indianapolis are now fairly – fairly well-known, but are there other historic preservation um, activities that he and Gail were involved with that we might not be familiar with? Well, yes. I'm, I'm sure there, there are several. <clears throat> um, one that, that, that I, sticks out in my mind very clearly is the uh, Beck's Mill, which is down in, in uh, rural southern Indiana outside of Salem. This was on our uh, list of 10 most endangered places uh, for a long time, and the group had been struggling for years and years to save this thing. And it was you know, it was falling apart faster than they could they could fix it up. And um, but uh, Bill and Gail took an interest in it and just very quietly came in and, and and saved the day. They put George Ridgway, Bill's architect, to work on it, and they worked wonders. And now it's it's an amazing historic site. But just something that they stepped in to do because they saw that it uh, it was it was a place in need. It somehow touched their their hearts, and uh, they they went at it with the typical. With the Cook team and and with the uh, the speed which which they're famous and uh, the results are are very gratifying and I know the people uh, down at the Beck's Mill are are just you know eternally grateful. Mm-hmm. Brian, Tom, um, of course, patient care was uh, just of paramount importance to Bill and. Uh, you know, something that uh, probably not a lot of people realize is that Bill gave uh, uh, about $175 million uh, over the course of years to various academic institutions for research-related uh, programs um, to uh, improve uh, patient care. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, that's, that's kind of under the radar screen, I think, uh, for most people. And, um, you know, there were no expectations uh, from Bill in terms of any kind of return necessarily for the, for the company. It was uh, uh, extending uh, research for, uh, uh, for the patients. So. You know, just to put that in perspective, I'm not sure how much uh, the Jacobs family has given over time to all of its various charities. But the Jacobs School of Music, I think, was named the Jacobs School for a $40 million donation. So, And you just said Bill's given $175 million to various universities around. So that's a lot of money. <laughs> Tom? Well, um, one thing that I can think of, uh, you know, Bill has always been willing to help uh, employees that – you know that 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 are dedicated to his effort and uh, have uh, you know that Bill respected and uh, trusted, and uh, if they wanted to uh, further their education, uh, he would always be willing to help fund that, and he did that for quite a few people. Mm-hmm. All right, we have a phone call. Let's go to Paul. Paul, hi, hi. I, I was just calling to uh, to to tell you about something. I don't know if you've mentioned it or not, but there's a uh, Gail and Bill Cook Center for Entrepreneurship. Uh, it's part of Ivy Tech. We and, haven't mentioned it, so go ahead. Okay, well, I, I just my wife and I have a small business, and we, we met with some, uh, some people over there, and they were, they were very helpful. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if, if many people in town know about this, but, but um, it, it, it's a great, uh, great thing to take advantage of. Right. Okay. Well, thanks a lot for the call. Okay. And, Bob? Yes. Uh, 
You might slow down a little when you're telling the uh, telephone number. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. I just know him so well. (laughs) I'm sure you do. Thanks. All right. That's much slower now. 855-0811 and 877-285-9348. Can you all talk about your final memories of Bill Cook? What's your final memory when you now think back at him? That question's for everybody. You want to start? Um, boy, that's a difficult question. <laughs> uh, you know, as, as Bill got on in years, you know, he was uh, much more frail and uh, didn't have the stamina. But he had the uh, – he still had the intensity and the interest. And uh, he wanted to help people. He wanted to do things for the community and he wanted to help patients. Uh, but uh, you know he had uh, he had uh, transferred that to his group that uh, he, he had put together, and uh, he was spending more times with uh, projects like the Centrum and uh, West Baden, French Lick, and Bex Mill, and and all those things. And he was really enjoying that. And uh, I could sort of see that he had come to the point in his life that he'd talked about when he'd started. And, uh, you know, for the last 10 years, it's sort of satisfying to me to see that he'd gotten that far and he was able to do that. And somehow I knew that he would because that was his intention in the beginning. But it was satisfying to see it all happen and come together. How about you? Well, you know, in spite of uh, his extensive vascular disease, he, over the years, I, th- I thought it was remarkable that he maintained his mental faculties as as uh, as as well as he did i mean he was uh, uh i remember him up to the end as just being uh, sharp as can be um engaging uh able to talk about any subject matter really um and uh and i just have nothing but fond memories of a very compassionate uh, uh engaging person who did uh, so much for uh, everybody in the business and the community at large. Okay, it was, uh, although I saw him one more time after this, it was just a week ago Saturday um, that I crashed a wedding at the uh, the New Indiana Landmarks Center, which Bill and, and Gail and Carl and Marcy had, had so graciously uh, supported. And uh, Bill and Gail were invited, and they wanted to see – what this place was like, so they they were on the list. But I I wanted to see too, so I came in and, and didn't know anybody in the in the wedding. But I saw Bill and Gail, so I sat with them, and uh, it was the the first time we really got to see the place uh, in in full use. I mean, it was beautiful. Uh, uh, everything was just just perfect, and the sun was coming through the stained glass, and and uh, we got to hear the organ, which Bill put a lot of effort in, in, into that organ, not just restoring it, but making it making it a glorious uh, concert instrument. But uh, hearing that, he leaned over and said to me, this was worth it. And I thought, man, if you can say that if, after what you put into this, that makes me very, very happy. And so that's really my – that's probably the memory I would like to – to keep Bill looked great. He had a he had a new suit, uh, at least a, a very a very trendy uh, modern uh, cut suit. And uh, Gail was was beautiful. And uh, they I know they enjoyed the the wedding. And we went we walked through the uh, the receiving line together. And uh, uh, the people behind me were remarking about how beautiful this place was. And I said quietly, I said, "Well," pointing to Bill in front of me, said, "These are the folks that made it made it possible." And he said, "Oh oh, is that Mr. Cook?" So. Um, <laughs> He did get to see uh, his uh, his generosity played out in that in that building, not to the glory we had last weekend, but just about. And so, that's a happy memory I'd like to keep. Mm-hmm. We we only have about three minutes to go, um, Brian. I, I as a senior vice president of business development, you probably I hope you're uh, well versed on what's going on in Pittsburgh with Carl's company. That and the reason I bring it up mm-hmm. is that uh, at the event last. June, Bill spoke. He did a slideshow and spoke and held court for a while. And one of the things he talked about was the work that was being done there on uh, – it's – you know, I'm not smart enough to explain it, but at the cellular level, some things that might regenerate some heart mus- – muscle or heart tissue or something. So he talked about how, mm-hmm. how what was happening there uh, might actually save the lives or ex- extend the lives of people who had what he had, the mm-hmm. congestive heart failure. And he said, it's not going to save me. 
but he was really proud of the work that was being done there. And I wondered if you could could speak to that. Well, there is a lot of work uh, yet to be done, but what he's talking about is cell therapy. And uh, the cell therapy program is a uh, integral part of Cook now. Uh, and uh, it's true. Uh, potentially, there are lots of various therapeutic uh, uses for uh, stem cells. We're looking at uh, the possibility of de- dealing with ischemic tissue uh, uh, throughout various areas of the heart, so uh, this is a this is a key uh, focal program within Cook, and uh, and we we look forward to a, a bright future there. And that's what when when Sarah asked about Carl, he's been running that company, correct? Yes, that Spends is correct. Most of the mm-hmm. time out there, yeah. And just to mention a couple other things that that I know Cook has gotten involved with. Of course, Cook Pharmaca is here in Bloomington now, and it it's not medical devices, but it's it's pharmaceuticals, and it's a they they they're doing some research there, correct? And then also it's a it's a fill center for yes, the uh, syringe filling facility is is now up and running, and uh, that that will be a uh, key component of that organization as well. And one of the one of the more interesting products I remember uh, learning about um, several years ago now, ten years ago was I'm not going to be able to come up with the name of it, but the name of it, but essentially it's a synthetic skin that was made to mm-hmm. and to use on burn therapies and other kinds of things so. uh, the uh, uh, s- small intestinal submucosa mm-hmm. uh, right. which we refer to as SIS uh, right, right. has been a part of uh, the, the cook uh, organization for a number of years there are a variety of different products that have been FDA approved and uh, and are on the market have been on the market for Oh, gosh, I guess it's been probably uh, 12, 12, 15 years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is uh, still great potential for that product. Uh, so it's a very, very active program through Cook Biotech up in Lafayette. And, uh, again, uh, holds a bright future. Mm-hmm. All right, we've run out of time. I have to thank uh, Tom Osborne for making that very first wire guide that <laughs> led to all this, no, actually, and, and to, of course, to Bill Cook for all of his vision and everything that he's He's done. But thank you, Tom, for being here with us today. And thank you, Brian Bates and Marsh Davis and Sarah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you all. All right. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Thank you. All right. And for producer Dan Goldblatt and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net.